The O3C Podcast is a proud member of the HyperX Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another episode of the O3C Podcast, coming to you from O3C Games. My name is Jonathan Dunn and I'm joined by birthday boy Chris Dow. Got the lurgy. And unbirthday boy Minty Booth. So you're saying that you need natural talent and hard-earned skill to join Seed? And we're talking about video games. <laughs> announcement! Announcement! I haven't written an announcement, but we haven't really got anything to announce. Just say, uh, play some games. All right. I'm not, I'm not even going to say it. I'm just going to put that in. Uh, of you saying it. New this April from HyperX. It's the HyperX Clutch Controller. Get better control of your mobile gaming with its comfortable grip, directional pad, analog sticks, and shoulder buttons. This versatile controller can fit a variety of phone widths and can also connect wirelessly for use on tablets and PCs. Learn more and pick one up online at HyperXNHP.com, Amazon, Micro Center, Target, Best Buy, and other fine retailers. So, after the rousing success of our hot topic debate last week, uh, we've decided to skip to talking about what we've been playing this week. <laughs> Minty, what have you played? <laughs> to be fair, we only released the episode, uh, you know, today, so we haven't had the opportunity for people to say, love that, talk more about that, talk more about this. Yeah, so, yeah. hey, you know, let, let's, let, let's let time catch up with us, hmm. for so ahead of it we are. Uh, well, here's a hot topic for you. Oh, uh, Kingdom Hearts 4 has been announced. It has. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. I I don't know where that fits in the timeline. I mean, it's Kingdom Hearts 4. Uh, I think it's the 16th Kingdom Hearts game. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It looks really good. The trailer, like, you, you can talk more, more in depth about this, Minty, because you have a bit more investment in the series, but seeing Sora in a more realistic style made me think of Mario in New Donk City and, and mm, I couldn't yes. then I couldn't unsee it at that point I had that in the back of my mind when I watched the trailer because I did watch it after you and I was just like oh he's, he's gonna be wearing normal sized shoes brilliant that's that's because that's, 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 that's all I can think of when I, I think of Kingdom Hearts I haven't played a game in years I just all I can think of is his fucking yellow clown feet um, <laughs> big old goofy shoes yeah yeah, yeah. um I didn't think it looked as jarring as New Donk Mario, but um, I just... <laughs> I mean, to be fair, New Donk was meant to be jarring. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I'm glad that they haven't tried to render the Disney characters in uh, IRL as well, because you see Goofy and Donald uh, like at the start of the trailer. Could you imagine how awful that would look if they went... Like, if it was just a dog and a duck? <laughs> I mean, that, that'd be great, actually. That would be fucking charming, I would think. Yeah. Sign me up, to be honest. I, I'd make that my first Kingdom Hearts game. Yeah, but moving on. What have I been playing this week? Not a huge amount. I've been playing um, Going Off to a Wedding. Um, ah, that, that classic. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I was lugging kegs around Derby for a good few hours. So you could say I've, I've been playing an, uh, a VR Donkey Kong. Yeah, yeah. Remember that game where he holds the barrels and he throws them? Oh, yes. Um we also played some real-life GeoGuessr because uh, British postcodes don't really work the way that they're meant to, um, mm. especially when you put them into Google Maps and you're in the country, um, which made visiting my my cousins very exciting um, and a lot longer than it needed to be. Yeah, and then in terms of actual video games that I have been playing, uh, I did forget to take my Switch to the hotel, but I did have my phone. Oh, Pokemon. Ah, uh, that's all you need. That's all you need. Pokemon. Yeah, so I'm carrying on with Pokemon, and 
I don't know why I've downloaded this. You know when you're playing other games or you're on Instagram and you see those those stupid fucking video ads where it's like 90% fail. Yeah. And there are always those like those weird morph suit little people like just jumping and just being incredibly bad at whatever task they are meant to be doing. Um yeah, I've I've, I've picked up a a little mobile game called They Are Coming. And and are they? Well, they are, yeah. It's those little, like, plasticine morph suit men. They're running after you, and you're running away, and you have to go through the gates, which have, like, times two or plus 25 to increase the amount of people on your side who shoot in them. Um, it's not very fun. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, oh dear. yeah, it's, it's, it's just, well, low risk, low reward is, is how I would describe this game. It's like... Um, like a packet of crisps, like like making toast, like salt, salt and shake, but it, it, it didn't come with a little packet of salt. <laughs> yeah, you are left rather wanting in between, like arriving back and having to uh, go and do errands. I've had a nice little chunk of time with Rune Factory Five. Um, oh yeah, how's that going? Have you got any roly poly sheep, pigs, sheep? Oh no, Can't no, I've, I've I've been going quite slow at the moment. I'm um, just sort of planting crops, getting to know people, I'm talking to them so that they get a heart above them. I tell you what I really like about this game. Have you ever have you ever played um an old flash game called Achievement Unlocked? No, absolutely not. I I've heard of it, but I, no I haven't played it. Okay, well it and its sequel um are based around that that very concept, unlocking achievements and therefore you get an achievement for doing literally anything, like moving your mouse, clicking something. Leveling up skills in Rune Factory 5 is like that. You get one for fucking everything. <laughs> I got one for sleeping. Oh, that sounds great. Farming, like combat and all the rest of it. I got one for love, which I don't really understand because I was planting a seed at the time. Nobody does, mate. Well, yeah, yeah. But you get one for eating? You do anything, like, and you just get a lovely little jingle that says "skill up." And you're like, oh, what, what did I do this time? I, I'm just, I'm just walking. You get one for walking. You get, you get, you can level up your skill in walking. It's what do you get for leveling up your skill in walking? Like, do you walk faster? Do you walk better? Probably, uh, probably both. You walk further. Yeah. Um, I'll have to have a little look at the um the stat screen that explains what getting skill ups actually does for all of these because I think for most skills that require your your stamina or your rune points as they're called in this game you can make better quality things or the buffs you get from things like eating and cooking um, you get you get higher recovery and it costs less to do things but yeah I don't know if um if just walking around makes you Faster. I don't know if I unlock a run button at some point, but I do. I do go at a fair lick at the moment. So, <laughs> well, keep us posted. Um, yeah, I want to know how fast you can really walk. Uh, yeah, you could whoosh, gone. Oh, too fast. And then you what? You're you're long for the days of uh, level one walking. Sounds a little bit like fantasy life. Oh, we like fantasy life. It is. It's a lot like fantasy life. Yeah, I was thinking about this earlier. I think that. that at the moment, there's a just in terms of gameplay, the distinction for me between Fantasy Life and uh, this game is Fantasy Life had a real sort of had a real crunchiness to it, didn't it? Oh yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like it. I know what you mean. So yeah, this is just this is like anime Fantasy Life with a bit more farming thrown in, hmm. and maybe um, 
boyfriends and girlfriends. Oh, we'll see. We'll see. Look out, Catherine. <laughs> no, oh, no, she's she's already been warned and <laughs> already gives me tons of guff about it. So, yeah. um, business as usual in the Booth household. Well, there we go. There we go. Well done. Well done. I'd, I'd say it's also business as usual in the Dunn household uh, because, <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to try and give you too much deja vu, but I have put 40 hours into Elden Ring on an entirely fresh playthrough on my Steam Deck. Uh, it's unbelievable. Unbelievable. To me, this is preposterous. It really is. I mean, what an incredible game it is. I mean, there are, th- yeah, there's things, there's a few things I found this time that I missed when I played through it on the PS5. And then I'll like boot up my save on the PS5 and be like, oh, there's that cave. Let me get that bit that I didn't get. But it's just, I, I mean, I can't, I just can't, I can't believe I've been sucked back into playing it again so easily. Like I, I said this when I finished it, that I really thought that it would be a game sort of like Breath of the Wild, where for me, it was just so big and epic that there was a sense of relief to get to the end and know that the game was done. But I just couldn't think of anything I'd rather do than start a new save file and play it all over again, which, which I've never done before with like a game of this size and this length. And honestly, I'm already thinking that when I finish this playthrough on my Steam Deck, I'll probably jump into New Game Plus on my PS5 and do it all again. It's mental. You're, you're broken. <laughs> you have become the tarnished. I am the tarnished. I mean, that's probably why I'm so tired. Yeah. But it's... um. Yeah, it's just—it's the best game. It's—it's it's just mad. Like, yeah, it's just—it's been so much fun to play it again with the knowledge that I have. Um, obviously, you don't get the—you don't get the, the the initial sort of enormous stat buff that you have when you start like a new game plus. So you know, it has been quite challenging, but also incredibly satisfying that I can, you know, I know the enemy patterns, I know where I'm going, I know that I don't need to bother doing that catacomb or whatever because I've, you know, I'm, I'm not, whatever I get at the end of it isn't going to suit my build, so I sack that off. Because catacombs, I found not not annoying, but I just, oh, they were they were tough. Um, I, I don't know if you've done many catacombs yet, Chris, in uh, in the game, but I've done a couple. I feel like a couple. I felt that I would summon people to do a catacomb in co-op more often than I would summon someone to help with a boss fight because I just was like, oh, yeah. Like, they're, they're filled with booby traps and things to try and catch you out. And I think, uh, yeah, I either maybe it made me too too nervous doing them or I just didn't like the idea of, you know, getting caught out and having to do it again or whatever. So I'd yeah, I'd often summon people to help me uh help me with the catacomb rather than actually with the boss of of the the coom. <laughs> catacomb. <laughs> um but I yeah, so it's nice that I can sort of go, ah, I'm not going to bother doing that and and know that I'm not missing out on anything because I have already done it. Uh but yeah, it's just it's just incredible and I love it. I love it and I can't wait to jump on it again when you start telling a story that's a bit too boring, Chris. Um <laughs> uh, I have finished Kirby and the Forgotten Land. Oh which was incredible. I'm not not quite a hundred percent in it, but I have I've pretty much done everything save like upgrade the last of my abilities and unlock all of like the gacha figurine collectibles in the game. Uh, but I have done all of the game. I've 100%ed all the levels. I've done all the post-game levels. Uh, I've 100%ed all of those. And it's just been... 
it's incredible. It's it rightfully sits at the top of like Switch games of the last couple of years. I think it's one of the very very best Switch games you can play. There's so much content in there as well. It's also impeccably designed. It's a continual joy to play. It's so so polished. I cannot recommend it highly enough. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm happy to put it down now and bequeath it to you, Minty. So hopefully you can uh, you can sample it and uh, and enjoy it, and we can talk about it. Yes, um, yes. Which would be which would be lovely. And I was also quite pleased to reach a resting point with Kirby, so that I could make a start on Lego Star Wars: The Skywalker Saga, oh, yes, which yeah. had arrived for me on the Switch. And uh, I got the nice special edition, which comes with a, a few downloadable character packs included and a lego hand solo in carbonite steel case which is very very cool um and i whacked that in made a start on it uh, but I, i'm honestly I'm, I'm a bit disappointed so far oh. there's a couple of reasons and the main one is is the, the sort of major design choice that they've gone with and we've spoken about this before and that they've included voice acting yeah. in the game and when I first played the original couple of Lego Star Wars games that did the first two trilogies, the developers were still in the mindset of communicating everything they needed to through wordless visual storytelling, like slapstick comedy and, you know, just subtly undermining the source material, but with a sense of love and respect for it as well. But it was with Lego Lord of the Rings where they then started to include voice samples from the films to assist in the storytelling. And for me, that brought with it just a sharp drop-off in its creativity when it came to the storytelling. I mean, obviously, yeah, it's much easier to, to, to tell the story or retell the stories with dialogue, and it's nice to hear the actors from the screen coming out of these little minifigures, but it means that the experience of playing the story in Lego form just isn't quite as special, you know? It's like, well, it's yeah, it's, it's, it's lost a lot of what made those games really fun for me, and... I'm pretty sure that's what the entire Skywalker Saga game is going to be. Yeah. And I find the prospect of that, to be honest, just quite boring, to be honest. Which is weird, because like the the first two games, uh, of which obviously they've pulled a lot of assets from for this, um, for the first two-thirds of the game, they've obviously just redone and to put voice acting in. And, I mean, there were, there were a couple... I, I made a start on the first trilogy so episode one and there were a couple of gags in the opening which uh, they're fine but it did, just didn't have the charm of what they were doing before and i wasn't playing with the sound massively up because you know we had the tv on so i couldn't quite tell if 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 the voices were actually the actors like you know ewan mcgregor and liam neeson i, I, I don't think they were um which again removes the storytelling a further degree from what i want and, you know, given that I've just played one of the best 3D platforming adventure type games in Kirby, I think I needed something a bit more to pull me into playing probably 200 hours of this. And, <laughs> it's a lot of Star Wars. You know, we, we've said before that the, the, the gameplay in the Lego games are, is simple, but it's satisfying. Uh, but you play it for the charm and for, you know, revisiting a, a franchise that you like in, in a fun way. And... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it might be that I've just got a bit of 3D platforming fatigue uh, or that my expectations are a bit high. Uh, I'm not going to totally write it off and, you know, trade it in before I give it another chance. And, and currently it is probably the only thing that I'm actively interested in playing on my Switch at the moment as well. So, yeah, I'm, I'm sure I'll, I'll play, play it a bit more over a few more evenings and, and see how it holds up. But, 
yeah, and I, and I hope I hope that I do sort of break the back of it and enjoy it because I do love the Lego games. I love Star Wars. I've been looking forward to you know revisiting uh, the story of some of these in this slightly tongue-in-cheek way. But also, I'd rather just play Elden Ring. <laughs> maybe that's the problem. Maybe that's maybe it's, there's always that option. Yeah, maybe I don't need to worry about the Steam Deck being the Switch killer, but just Elden Ring being the every other game killer. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Chris? Uh, I have you played Elden Ring? Have you played Kirby? I've I've played all sorts. <laughs> Tell us what you've played. Uh, I have played the first few stages of Kirby. Uh, I received it as a, a late birthday present for my dad. Um, it turned up just yesterday. Lovely. Um, and I know already that I'm I'm going to love it when I sit down properly to give it you know a real a real chew. At the moment, like I said, I've I've literally played kind of the intro uh, and I've got 100% the first few stages. So I've played them a couple times each. It'll be a lovely game to sit down and play whilst I'm feeling not the best at the moment, uh, being kind of a bit unwell. And that I think that's a good kind of bright way to to pull yourself through that sort of feeling. Absolutely. Uh, because it is. It's just a, a joyous, shiny, you know, all all happy all of the time type experience to have. <laughs> um, I've, I've also played more Chocobo. I'm still enjoying it. There's not that much yeah. more to say, to be honest, because, you know, the, there hasn't been any sudden content drops or massive upheavals or anything like that. So it's just... A nice kart racer, which I'm still playing online <laughs> quite a lot. Um, and I have also played more Elden Ring. Yes. And I'm also still enjoying that. Yes, you boy. <laughs> Perhaps not quite to the extent that you are, Jonathan Dunn, but the thing that Elden Ring does really well... Everything. ...that I haven't felt in, in quite a long time is its sense of natural discovery. Mm. And I, I won't bring up too much because I know a huge part of these games is kind of about individually stumbling across new places and new foes and new vistas and whatever. But I wanted to mention at least a few of the moments that have stood out to me recently. So it's things like realising I could take a running leap to traverse across the rooftops in Stormvale Castle, Mm. which meant that I could avoid a few foes that I I couldn't quite take down consistently. Um, But also it led me to a new talisman that I don't think is even accessible unless you take this kind of shortcut, like the sort of leap of faith jump initially. And that felt really special. Like I felt like, oh, I've I've found this. I've done a good job here. I really like the way that that stories and lore can be set up and paid off quite organically, Uh, like coming across an NPC in one location and then I met them again in a totally different location when they offered support in in like a combat encounter. You know, I didn't have to actively summon them. I didn't have to engage with any menus. They were just there and their story then made sense because of what they'd said when I met them at a bonfire, you know, five hours earlier. So that kind of thing just makes the whole world feel quite together, quite, quite real. Um, and that's really exciting as well. You've got the big revelation that the map itself doesn't really show that there are planes and topography potentially above and below terra firma, something which, <laughs> you know, culminated in one of the most exhilarating lift descents I've ever had in a game. <laughs> so that was that was a big one. But again, I, I won't spoil too much more. <laughs> I mean, that is, that is literally one of, one of my favourite moments in the game when you just go, oh, this <laughs> world is fucking huge huge and it's not even the half of it like literally oh big like you'll have that moment <laughs> several times maybe maybe not won't spoil it no you do <laughs> this afternoon i enjoyed fighting through some stinky flowers to find uh, an optional boss Ooh. that once i'd beaten them they revealed our good pal kezia burrows hiding in a oh, basement yes yes, yes <laughs> so yes, that, yes. that was exciting <laughs> To hear our Welsh friend. Excellent. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And finally, this is this is the big revelation. Realising that holding the circle button lets you run. <laughs> 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 uh, 
because you know you you can both laugh all you want as uh, I know you did Jonathan when you watched me stream it making that realization in real time I was just I was just happy to see you reach that point I'm pretty confident that's never explained in the opening tutorial or near, or anywhere else I, I honestly don't think that came up because I, I felt like I really needed to study that first kind of hour of the game where it's like, this is how you use a light attack. This is how you use a heavy attack. This is why you might want to roll. So I watched and listened to all that and I do not remember them saying, hold it down and you'll run. <laughs> so, you know, I was about 20 hours in before I made that realisation. Uh, it has helped combat quite a bit. <laughs> when I start my third playthrough in a couple of hours, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll have a look and let you know if it does mention it. Yeah, or when you start your third playthrough, you should do a no-run playthrough. <laughs> The, the crystal special the uh, the no stamina no run playthrough i'm still really enjoying the game like i said but I'm, I'm a bit stuck at the moment because a lot of the potential avenues i've sort of opened up are all quite tough at the minute for me to make progress through and i think i need to like grind a bit more so i can level up and use my weapons a bit more effectively or level up a few stats so i can start using magic because i don't have the the skills for that at the moment i think there's things that will make things easier um, but I'm sort of just bouncing between three or four different prongs of the map at the moment, sort of doing a little bit here, a little bit there, and then, you know, doing my best when I collect the runes to then buff my character a bit and build him up. So I, I will keep you updated. I'm still going. I haven't given up. Uh, I'm still still trucking along. Wonderful. The other game that I've spent quite a lot of time on, uh, you know, in the background of other stuff over the last few weeks, I haven't really brought it up, is that me and George have now beaten the four core seasons of Telltale's The Walking Dead. Oh, fantastic. And... I, I have to say, as as a collection, as like a whole, like almost like a box set of these four seasons, it's it's a ten out of ten game. Twice as good as Bell and Wonderworld. <laughs> Just stick two of them together. Fucking because hell. as with like most TV, there's there's stronger episodes, you know, there's stronger seasons, there's weaker seasons, but it's just a really great time overall, and it does some really well considered things with narrative that uses some of the more unique opportunities that games give you that makes the whole thing feel a lot more than just a passive narrative experience. And I think that is kind of what I'd wrongly characterised it as back in the day when I played the first season. But to do the whole thing in kind of one stretch like this, I've really looked at it a little bit differently. I'm not going to spoil any of the story because it is just a story game essentially. But I wanted to kind of explain how it anchors its whole narrative arc around one character as she's growing up in this kind of zombie-ridden world. And it that's the thing that makes it much more than just a simple choose-your-own-adventure game. Because by having a central, not protagonist all the time, because you're not always in control, um, but a central person to kind of latch onto, you really, you experience the development of this place as she does. And, and that works really, really nicely. So the, the game really cleverly uses its choice of protagonists in each series to sculpt like a really deep relationship between you and this player, Clementine. In the first season, you you play as a guy called Lee, who's like an unlikely caregiver and moral compass for a really young Clem. And he has to act as sort of a stand-in paternal figure as all the survivors of the world are starting to find their their place within you know the zombie apocalypse, essentially. By season two, you then have direct control of a slightly older Clementine, and you're suddenly faced with making tough decisions for yourself, it feels like, not as someone who is like in loco parentis like Lee was. Then by season three, control was taken away from Clementine again. You're placed in the shoes of a, of a totally different character. And that narrative choice at the time, I was like, oh, that's a bit disappointing. But when you do then come across Clem a little bit later, again, she's a few years older than she was at the close of season two. Her actions are now independent of your control. It would have been really easy to just sit you in the driving seat every season so that Clem's ongoing survival would have felt entirely like it was your ongoing survival. 
But the shift back and forth in perspectives from first to third person means that when you do see her then calling shots and making tough decisions outside of your control, you view her as like a proper person that's that's just growing up in this place. She's not just a protagonist that's kind of empty that you're just pulling the strings. And then by the final season, you're back in control of her again, but now you have your own dependence. So it kind of comes full circle back to the first season. And it's just a really satisfying return. I, I wonder how much a series like this is really planned out early doors like when it's first designed and and conceived because i don't think anyone would have initially predicted how much love there would be for this particular adaptation of the comics Mm. and i feel like there's always a possibility with anything that suddenly grows in popularity like this that the creative team can start taking big missteps due to like sudden time or financial pressure but in, in this case you know the collection is incredibly cohesive really affecting and considering it was originally produced across like a seven-year period and by the end of it during a time when Telltale was being dissolved midway through its final season, I think it's remarkable that it came out as well as it did. And and it's just a towering narrative achievement. You know, it's, it's not always super gamey, but overall it's just a really good piece of interactive media. I think the, the outline story could have been told in other formats, absolutely, but you wouldn't have felt as involved in Clem's story as the way you do kind of pinballing around between being her and taking control of her, but also kind of having these moments where you're taking control of people external to her as well. So when she's kind of becoming this this little badass that's just surviving, she's doing this not just because you're making it happen. And I think that's really, really clever. So yeah, a big, big recommendation. As I said before, you can get the collection on the PS4 for sub £20. Um, and you're going to get a lot of game out of that. You know, it's we've probably played 40 hours worth of this, but a strong recommendation. Really, really enjoyed it. Oh, fantastic. I, I, I've i never played one of the Telltale games, but I think, like with a TV series, if I don't start it at the very beginning, I get quite daunted about starting it until it's finished. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's helped that Georgia was so into it, like an episode in. Yeah. Um, because I kind of gave her the opportunity to see, like, oh, what do you think of this? You've, you've not played this before. And she was kind of unsure for the first kind of like 20 minutes once she got used to how it played and, and what you had to do and how hands-on it could be or not be. Um, and then by the end of that, it was just, that's all she's wanted to do <laughs> when we've had spare time. And that's really helps like push it along to have someone to do it with. Yeah, I think it makes a big difference that largely, I, I haven't made any of the decisions in our playthrough. So I, I'm watching this almost. Have you had any more like character revealing uh, ruthless decisions from, from Georgia? <laughs> Uh, she, she's taking her time more as Clem is growing up. I don't know what that says <laughs> about kind of George's relationship with Clementine as well. Um, but the the approach she's taking is different to that first season where it was, like I said, she she was hammering the button before the prompt had even come up. <laughs> to just like, lop leg off, get leg off straight away. Um, whereas now it's kind of a bit more nuanced because it's, it's, you know, a lot of big decisions about kind of who's going to live and die, who you've built up these kind of, you know, long-term kind of connections with. Um, who you're going to support, who you can't support. And yeah, it's, it's it's really well done. But I do think it's something that's really good to play with other people mm. because then what I really enjoy about watching any TV as well is just talking to people about it afterwards. Yeah, yeah, and, absolutely. And having that kind of thing that you can kind of reflect on. Well, why did that happen? What do we think about that? How do we feel about that kind of character interaction? Uh, I think just really helps it stand out as, as a, a really good, well-written game as well. Um, because... If I wasn't thinking about it afterwards, I don't think I would have had these same feelings towards, you know, all, all the good stuff they did in this. So, yeah, play it with someone, get it cheap uh, and, and enjoy the 
good couple of weeks of play you'll get out of it because it's it's a good time. Lovely. Have you played any of the other Telltale games? Uh, I've played The Wolf Among Us is very good. That's only a single season, so that's an easier one to get into. Uh-huh. Um, the two Batman series are really good as well. Um, so that's not too long yeah. a time investment because they they take the Batman character again. It's it's totally different to any of the film or, or comic versions. It's just their own versions of these characters and, and, yeah. and villains and everything else. They're really good. I'm going through a bit of a Batman phase at the moment, so I uh, I'm, I'm, I'm currently watching my way through Gotham. So yeah, yeah, I might do that. Yeah, give that a go because they're really strong, mm. really really strong. So, do you guys want to know what is my amendment? Yes. What my amendment is, as, as people often structure sentences. <laughs> I believe so, yes. Yes, I think so. <laughs> so, I'm going to start my entry this week with a question. What makes a Metroidvania a good Metroidvania? Oh, elements from Metroid and Castlevania. Lots of Metroid. Yeah. Lots of Vania. I mean, that technically makes it a Metroidvania. I think you're right. But is having a parasitic alien hunting you or a vampiric Alan seeking to bring down your family? Do you know, do you have to have those things in it? You know, it's, it's a it's a genre that is massively overrepresented now on digital storefronts. And it does seem that every week a dozen new indie Metroidvania with pixel art things are added. So how are you supposed to decide which ones to play? How do you know which ones are good? How do you know which ones are bad? Well, in the case of my game this week, it's because it was on Xbox Game Pass when I had that subscription, and I literally had nothing to lose but a bit of time to give <laughs> The Messenger a go. Oh, oh your favourite. The Messenger, yeah. Number one, with a bullet, see ya. <laughs> it's, um... <laughs> Now, The Messenger was quite lazily touted on its graphical mechanic, that it employs both uh, 8-bit and 16-bit art styles. Some of the game looked like it was on a NES, some of the game looks like it's on a SNES, and I I really hoped that this was more than just a gimmick, you know, to help it stand out on this Bertha-inflated eShop. But fortunately, it's not. It's actually a genius visual shorthand for the juggling of timelines in this game. And, and this is the real thing uh, in the game that I think makes it stand apart from the other Metroidvanias. Its use of, of time-travelling mechanics is incredibly fun, very clever, brilliantly and clearly conveyed to the player. Like, the main concept of the game is that you are playing in two different eras. If you're in the past or you're in the future. How do you know? Well, it looks like it, doesn't it? You know, you've got double the bits, so it's quite obvious. You can very quickly and easily know when you are as well as where you are. It's a game that's also quite lazily touted as a a Metroidvania with pixel art and time-travelling mechanics because it saves this additional genre, the fact that it is a Metroidvania, it basically saves that as as a plot twist about halfway through the game. Like Up until that point, you'd be forgiven for thinking you were just playing a 2D side-scrolling action-adventure game in the vein of something like Ninja Gaiden. But the game delights in turning things on its head so frequently, and the second act reveal that the game is in fact a Metroidvania, that you uh, <laughs> that this scroll you've been given to courier to the top of a mountain is in fact actually a classic Metroidvania map, and now you've got to go uh, back through everything uh, you've just been through, fully exploring every facet of all the different areas that you've uh, that you've, you've managed to beat your way through. That's just one of many plot twists the game gleefully executes with marvellous humour. Which brings me on to the best thing in this game, which is the writing. Like, I would say it's up there with the very, very best I've ever played. 
The dialogue alone is so brilliantly witty. The characterization of all the key figures in the game is consistently and constantly funny. The way the story is unveiled is wonderful and the seeds that the game plants so, so, so early on that aren't even paid off until so much later in the game. It's just so brilliantly satisfying that you, you can't help but sit back and applaud the brazen I mean, what, what, frankly arrogant nature of, uh, <laughs> of the developers like i've talked about audacity in the past of in something like the witness i say no more if you've played the game you know what i'm talking about but it's sort of like that where they just go yeah we know that we are very clever and you will come to realize this in time I'm not going to say anything about the story. Certainly, I'm not going to say anything about the, tw the twists in the game because it's it's something that deserves to be experienced firsthand. You know, Chris, you've just talked about The Walking Dead uh, yeah. and how that's, that's a story that actually leans into what a video game offers uh, as a medium in how to tell a story and yeah it's very much the same same here this is this is a story that works best being told through a video game and one of the reasons for that is it subverts conventions in video game storytelling that won't be anywhere near as effective if you were just say you know reading a synopsis on wikipedia or you know it's it's a wonderful piece of storytelling that deserves to be experienced actively, not passively. Uh, there are certainly meta levels to the storytelling. There are times when it knows it's a game. There are times when it knows that you're playing the game. And all of those things are just woven in so brilliantly to how the story unfolds that, yeah, like I said, it, it's, a, it's a story that is definitely best suited to being played. Uh, and uh, yeah, they really make the most of it. But as we all know, and we do know this, a great story, great writing lovely art and all the rest of it counts for little if the gameplay isn't there. It's always a concern when you get a game that is retro-inspired. Like, is retro-inspired just a euphemism for just basic, unrefined gameplay? Fortunately, the game is retro-inspired and not retro-recreated, because whilst it does share a lot of gameplay ideas and presentation with games from an older era, it's very, very modern in the way it's executed. Now, I've got a bit of a rule about Metroidvanias. Give me a double jump or I'm out. <laughs> but a lot of games include this control mechanic, often just to soften the edges of some rough design. They do. They do. They do. And it's true that it can be a really lazy design choice when the developers can't quite make their minds up on the level of precision needed to execute the platforming in their game. And the best good uses of the mechanic in games are definitely outweighed by the poor uses of it. But... What I really like that the team at Sabotage Studio have done with The Messenger is they give you a double jump, but with a slight condition. They make you earn your double jump. So in order to execute it, basically, whilst you're in there, you need to hit something with your sword or with your weapon that will then give you the ability to perform another jump. It's, it's difficult to describe, but... Once you get used to the fact that you can't just double jump willy-nilly, that you have to make sure that if you're going to jump and you want to jump again, you need to go via something that you can hit. So if that's an enemy, if that's a ledge, if it's a candle on the wall or something. And it adds a level of strategy and puzzle solving to its like acrobatic movement mechanics that is just really satisfying to pull off when you successfully reach a hidden area or find a, you know, a secret in the levels. And the gameplay in a Metroidvania has to be top-notch because you're being asked to replay the same sections of a game several times and if that's not fun to do you're basically just asking players to be bored and you know 
the abilities you unlock that help you then explore the game with more freedom, fluidity and power, they need to bring a fresh level of excitement and intrigue in revisiting those areas. You know, what will this cool new ability allow me to find here? Have I now got the right power to make it to the top of that waterfall where I saw the edge of a secret platform? And the messenger just really nails this, and especially because a lot of the abilities and powers you unlock, they're not necessarily the sort of ones you would expect. They make you approach the game in very different ways to what you will have experienced before, certainly if you just write the game off as a Ninja Gaiden clone. Now I know that I usually reserve the and finally of my sections for the music in a game. Well, at one point I was just talking about the music of the game and nothing else because the soundtrack <laughs> in The Messenger uh, should almost, it, well, it should get first billing uh, when talking about it because it is that good. It is incredibly, incredibly good. So the composer is a guy called Rainbow Dragon Eyes and he's he's put together one of the best chiptune soundtracks I've ever heard. It's up there with Anna Managuchi's Scott Pilgrim soundtrack. It's up there with David Housen's chiptune featuring soundtrack of Thomas Was Alone that I absolutely love. I was not prepared for one of the best soundtracks of all time to come out of my speakers. Like literally the first 20 seconds of the first track you hear after starting a new game, like those first few notes that you get, they are up there with what I consider to be the best opening to a work of music, which is everything in its right place on Kid A. Oh boy. <laughs> Just those first few notes. boom. <laughs> it's like, wow, I'm absolutely fucking in. And those few notes alone, Literally, I had I had the very articulated thought that I just went, yeah, I'm playing this game to completion. Absolutely, no question. <laughs> I cemented my commitment to this game because of those opening 20 seconds of music. And brilliantly, the music is composed with the same difference in video game hardware eras in mind as the pixel art. So when you're in the 8-bit era, it's using 8-bit chiptune rules. And when you go into the future, it's making the most of the expanded tech that the 16-bit era offered composers. And there will be both 8-bit and 16-bit versions of the music for all the different areas of the game. So the sound design properly caters for you dipping in and out of different time periods, even if it's just for a split second. And the music and sound effects will react accordingly. It is breathtaking uh, and just incredibly fun to witness. It is, I mean, it's simply one of the best games I've ever played. It's, it's one of the most pleasant surprises I've ever had. Like, I wasn't expecting a masterpiece. I was thinking, that looks good. It's meant to be good. I'm going to play it. And what I got was just extraordinary. Its clarity of vision in what it is is wonderful. I absolutely cannot wait to play the team's next game, which is called Sea of Stars. It's uh, similarly retro-inspired, but it's a classic turn-based RPG. It looks absolutely stunning. I've been a member of the... Well, I've joined their the Sabotage Studio Discord server, so I've been following the development of the game. And yeah, that I think that's going to be something really quite special because these guys, yeah, they really know what they're doing. I mean, The Messenger was Sabotage Studio's first game. And yeah, talk about an assured debut. Like I said, the the audacity of some of the some of the, the, the things they have in this game just yeah, show a developer that 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 knows they're doing bloody good work. Just like Jesus on this Easter weekend. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, where's it going? What's leaving? Number one. It's not number one, but I think it's going in the top half of the top half. It's top 25. That's the top quarter then, isn't it? <laughs> it's one way of looking at it. Looking at my list, the games I could see up there, 
on my original list, Bioshock Infinite, is in there at number 20. That's another game that totally blew me away with the writing of it. And I think The Messenger is going to settle in nicely just below that game. It may well be a little bit further, further down the list when I'm chucking a few more things in. I mean, I'm, I'm very aware I've got, what, another 10, 11 games to crowbar into my list that I think are probably better than The Messenger. So I think, let's say number 25, let's say top quarter is a, is a very good place to leave it for now. Like you, I know you both would love this. Didn't... Didn't I buy it both for you? You did. I played a decent chunk of it, but I never hit the Metroidvania part. Fucking play it, you ungrateful whelps. <laughs> <laughs> I banged on about it enough, and, you know, I can't do more than literally putting it in your hands to play, so please do. Uh, and, yeah. <laughs> I bought it again on... Uh, on Because, I, yeah, I had it on Xbox Game Pass, and I played it on my PC, and I, I bought it on uh, the Switch when it was on sale on that to play it again, and it's just... Oh, it's incredible. It's incredible. It's so good. It's so good. I literally played the first 20 seconds of the soundtrack to my friend Charles today, and he is going home to buy it, totally on the basis of those 20 seconds. Good stuff. I tell you what, unbelievable, unbelievable. So what's going? Well, I'm going to get rid of another 2D side-scrolling game that is just, it's just, uh, yeah, it needs to leave my list. That's Sonic 3. What? Because, obviously, I'm combining it with Sonic and Knuckles. Oh, uh, boy. Because, <laughs> yes, as Chris, you so rightfully expressed when they were in your list, they are two halves of the same game. Yes, and I yeah. initially had them in my list as separate entries, which is, is uh, yes, yeah, that's just using up precious space. Foolish. So I'm not actually saying goodbye to anything, really, this week, thankfully. Uh, but I am saying a big hello to The Messenger. Top stuff. We, we mentioned before that even though I didn't play the full game, uh, the soundtrack was good enough. I was then desperate to own it on vinyl. Yeah, yeah. And the vinyl goes for like several hundred pounds. I'm not <laughs> so, surprised. So I do not own it on vinyl. It's a double vinyl set with the past on one and the future on the other. And, oh, oh, I wish I had it. I don't even have a vinyl player, but it's, <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to have yeah, that. Maybe, maybe one day I'll it. get lucky. Um, yeah. The, the, the vinyl soundtrack market is bananas. Uh, the, the cost of certain releases is is insane. There's always a uh, inherent kind of limited run to the way that vinyl are pressed. So you know, even when things get re-releases and represses, it's it's not a quick turnaround, and they're never done in huge numbers. So it means that if something is genuinely good like this, it you know it just it gains enough fans that means that it's it's always going to be expensive. And yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. I, I wish I'd known about it at the time because I remember when it was first initially kind of marketed. I think it came from IM8 bit, yes, off the yeah, top of my head. And I thought, oh, that that looks pretty because they always do great sets. But at the same time, it's like, well, I don't know the game, so I, <laughs> I won't spend the thirty pounds now. Oh, Chris, <laughs> you know, live and learn, live and learn. You do, you do. So there we go. That was my amendment this week, which was the messenger. Buy it. It's incredible. Play it. It's even better than just buying it. Honestly honestly play it if you've enjoyed this episode then please do check us out on social media at o3c games follow us on everything if you haven't talk to us tell your friends about us engage with us on our social media platforms tell us what you're playing ask us questions if you if you do want us to uh, bring another hot topic back then uh, you know t tell us what you want us to topic about you can take us to task individually as well. I'm on Twitter at Jonathan Dunn. I am at Chaz underscore Hodges. Oh, I'm Clement underscore Boo. 
If you're really enjoying what we're doing, you want to support us even more, head to our website, o3c.games, check out our articles, check out our videos, and check out the support page where you can pledge some money to us on our Patreon and become a Patreon member and get a load of things, bonus episodes, deleted scenes, outtakes, access to the Discord server. We'd really appreciate that. Or there's even the option on our website to chuck us a few quid on PayPal if you want to say, uh, uh, yeah, thanks. And now a word from our sponsor. And now a word from our sponsor. And now a word from our sponsor. SequelCast 2 and Friends looks at movies and video games and franchises one movie and game at a time. Hosted by Matt Bradley Shurgi, Thrasher, and Alex Miller, been going since 2009, and we're part of the HyperX Podcast Network. Superhero stuff you should know! Go deeper than you've gone before into your favorite comic book films, storylines, and characters. Superhero stuff you should know. Part of the HyperX Podcast Network. (laughs) New this April from HyperX, it's the HyperX Clutch Controller. Get better control of your mobile gaming with its comfortable grip, directional pad, analog sticks, and shoulder buttons. This versatile controller can fit a variety of phone widths and can also connect wirelessly for use on tablets and PCs. Learn more, pick up one online at HyperX and HP.com, Amazon, Micro Center, Target, Best Buy, many other fine retailers, probably in the UK as well. Hopefully, I don't know, have a look. <laughs>